Welcome to the Trust Your Voice podcast. My name is Sylvie Legere, and as a civically engaged entrepreneur, the co-founder of the Posse Circle, and a mom, I've noticed that too often we underestimate our leadership potential, and we forget that we can be a catalyst. I believe that no matter where you are in life, it is meaningful conversations, like the one we will have today, that ignite new ways to think about our purpose. You can be a spark for others. You just need to trust your voice, even if it's a little shaky. So let's start the show. On this podcast, I introduce you to tools and people in a way that may spark you to look at your circumstances differently and to really trust yourself to engage in life at a new level. So in the past episodes, we've talked about foundational pillars to trust yourself and others. And we've also expanded our knowledge about national and community-based issues. So I was reading a policy circle brief about trust and learned that distrust in the federal government is really at an all-time low. Only two in 10 Americans say they trust the government in Washington to do what is right just about always or most of the time. And when it comes to trust in local government, the picture is a lot better. According to a Gallup poll, 72% of U.S. adults say they have a great deal or a fair amount of trust in their local government, compared with 63% who say the same about their state government. So do you know who your state representatives are? Do you know who is asking for your vote in your state election? Well, since we're in election year, I thought we'd take a moment to pause and unpack state politics. And I'm thrilled because for this episode, I invited Edith Jorge Tunyon to talk about state politics and how state candidates matter. And I really hope that this conversation will spark you to tune into state politics. So Edith is from New Jersey originally. She's from Cuban descent and her family came from Cuba. She has worked on numerous campaigns and in particular on the election of the first Hispanic governor in the nation, New Mexico Governor Susana Martinez. And today, Edith is the Deputy Executive Director of the Republican State Leadership Committee. So Edith, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sylvie. I'm excited to be doing this with you. I love podcasts. They're the the new craze. So pepper me with questions. I look forward to yeah. it. Well, thank you. Well, for, I mean, you've spent your career working in politics and working on campaigns. And since this is the Trust Your Voice podcast, I'd love for you to kind of share that moment where you kind of felt you trusted yourself, trusted your voice to engage in politics, which is sometimes a mystery for so many people. Yeah, it's funny. I was having a, a similar conversation to this this morning. And, and I think it's a, a twofold answer, right? When I started politics and when I began to trust my voice were two completely different blips in the timeline, if you will. So I got involved in politics kind of right after college. I graduated college in 2008. It was right after the kind of housing crisis, the economy was in a downpour, and it was around the same time that you were lucky to graduate college and have a job right off the bat. I wasn't quite that lucky, so I had graduated. The only thing I had at the time was an internship with Governor Chris Christie at the time in his communications office. And because I didn't have a job lined up, I was like, well, I don't mind still kind of doing this until, you know, I'm able to secure something. Who knows what happens? And I had gotten the internship because I was a communications major in school, but I really enjoyed my political science classes. So I kind of just ended up taking so many as my electeds that I was able to double major. My last semester, I just needed... It was like a random number. It was like four credits to be able to double major. And the only way to do so was through an internship. 
one of my professors said, I can get you an internship. It's with Governor Christie's comms office. At the time, I'm a registered Democrat. She tells me, are you okay with this? I said, sure, why not? And that was kind of the beginning of the end, if you will. From there, you know, I met some really great people. I learned what it was to kind of get involved on the policy campaign side of things. One of the very first things that Governor Christie tackled was the teachers unions. And we'll kind of get into that and the government side of being an elected official versus the campaign side of it. But, you know, that propelled me into the campaign world. From there, I was offered a campaign job down in Delaware. I moved down for about eight months. That was a great experience. And pretty much every year after that or every two years after that, you know, there was a new gig and I had to either move or relocate or do X or do Y. And so that all starts, like I said, so this is 2010 now as I'm like putting timelines together. And then it wasn't probably until I moved to D.C. in 2015 that I kind of really started to find my voice and started to feel like I had gained enough experience from all of the moving, from all of the campaigns, from working under some like really great people that I felt really confident in kind of standing up for myself and saying like, hey, I think it should be done this way or hey, I think this is a really great candidate or this is a, a better policy stance or whatever the case is. And, and along the way, like I said, I had some really great mentors that helped kind of get me there and also people that kind of believed in me. And, you know, would give me my place when I walked into a room, so to speak, and wanted to hear what I had to say based on the experiences that I had had in the past. And some of the great people that I had worked with, the Susana Martinez's of the world, Mike Castles, Governor Christie's, those folks. That's kind of how that all came together. It's a great moment. And it's fun to also, I think, remember. It's like that moment where you said, you know what? Yeah, I stand on my own and my voice matters and I'm not afraid to have it heard. So you've interacted with a lot of candidates. You've worked on a lot of campaigns. So I've heard you say many times that candidates matter. And then so share with us, what do you look for in, in a candidate? Authenticity beyond anything. I think that is, is so important. You know, we always use this phrase, it's uh, the right candidate for the right district. And I think that that can apply in a lot of different ways, right? If you have a heavy Hispanic district, then, you know, maybe the right candidate for that district is a Hispanic candidate. If you have a heavy African-American district, and that can apply, you know, in a number of different ways. But it doesn't matter who that person is if they aren't authentic to themselves, to their community, to why they want to run for office. I'm sure we've all heard this a million times, but it's kind of like that. One of the very first things you should do when you run to office is have that like 15 second why I want to run. There's so much truth behind that because those 15 seconds can kind of tell you everything that there is to know about a person. And I think a lot of times, you know, unfortunately, people run for the wrong reasons. In today's day and age, you know, the advent of your TikToks and your Instagrams and all of this stuff, like you're almost a little mini celebrity, especially in like this Twitter world. I mean, if you look at, you know, some of these folks that have kind of in the last probably six years gone from literally tweeting their way to 100,000 followers and end up in Congress. Like, that's a kind of crazy path to see. So, you know, how many of these folks are doing it because they genuinely believe that they have the right message, they have the right policies that will help their communities, that will help their districts? 
And how many of these people are really only doing it because they like the following and the the mini fame status and that sort of thing. And so, like I said, I think today more than anything, that's so important that you're doing it for the right reasons. I think it's very telling, you know, someone who is doing it for the right reasons versus someone who's not. Yeah, and it matters, right? I mean, it's like our vote should not be taken for granted and should not necessarily go to those who are seeking the celebrity status. Right? And, and I think we did a, an episode with Tara Reid on how to assess a candidate and it kind of goes back to what do we value and does that candidate represent what we value the most and the most important. And no one is perfect, right? So we have to kind of be generous and kind of say, well, on this particular issue, whether, you know, it's red tape or government efficiency, this person will hold agencies accountable. And that's who I want in government. And you kind of have to know, like, what is your biggest uh, issue? And and I also feel like no vote should be taken for granted based on genders, who you are, skin tone. And uh, we are in that era, it feels like sometimes our votes are taken for granted because and sadly, these candidates that we elect really matter because they can really undermine the functioning of our whole society. And and when it comes to our state government, we can really hold accountable the people that we put in office because they are the one who are ultimately responsible for how our local government is running. Our local government should be working for us, should be working optimally and not be a burden to the citizens uh, of a state. The crazy thing about everything that you're saying, right, is like you're so on point because look at look at Virginia, look at New Jersey. I mean, like we're talking about races that are literally being won by 100, 200 votes. Right. And that's even kind of on the higher end. Right. A, a couple of years ago in Virginia, there was a stalemate at the legislative level where the only way that they were able to pick the representative is by flipping a coin. So we're talking about every single vote literally counting, right? Where you think to yourself like, oh, it doesn't matter if I make it at the end of the day. Think about how many people have that thought. And if those people were to turn out, you could completely change a legislative district, a Senate district in your state. And then take that a bit further. Look at Arizona. Arizona right now has Republican control in both chambers by one representative in both chambers. So there are examples of like, you're absolutely right. You should never take your vote for granted. You should never think like, oh, you know, I got to get to work. I don't have time. It doesn't matter anyway, right? My vote's not going to matter. Right. And candidates can't take voters for granted. So I think that's why we have to be informed voters and we have to turn to state politics because it really matters. So like in my state, I'm in Illinois, we have a trifecta. Democrats have controlled the Senate for the last 20 years. And the House is also being controlled by Democrats for the last 25 years, so like quarter of a century. And we've always pretty much had Democrat governor and that's been going back and forth, but it's essentially a trifecta. So share with us how your political strategist mind looks at a state and determines the possibility of winning some seats in a state house or a Senate or an other executive office. It'd be great to just understand how do you determine to engage in a state race and in your role? So, I mean, data, 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 data. If you think about it, you know, no, no big business does anything without some type of data point. But even before that, right, you can, especially in a year like this, like the environment is a huge 
marker of whether or not we should even take a look at a state like Illinois, right? If this were, you know, let's go back to maybe 2006, maybe Illinois wasn't necessarily the best place for us to be looking at. Fast forward to today where the environment is very much in our favor, where everything is pointing to a sweep on the Republican side of things. Well, now these kind of deep blue states, you know, we're going to be very realistic about how we look at them. I'm not going to tell you today that we're going to flip Illinois because that's probably not going to happen. But what I am going to tell you is that I bet we can go in and we can start looking at some of these seats, particularly in the suburbs, some of the more rural areas. And one by one, we can start picking up some House seats, right? We can potentially pick off some judicial seats. We can make some gains with kind of the right headwinds this cycle that is going to set us off to be able to govern a lot better, right? It could potentially get us out of the super minority on the House side, which I think is very likely this year for you. And what it does is it now gives Republicans a seat at the table and it helps us to have our voices heard and it starts to build that bench for, okay, well, now what happens two years from now? What happens four years from now? So a state like Illinois, I'm not going to tell you we're going to flip it overnight. If we can get a head start this year with the momentum, with the environment, with the messaging, then it sets us up to potentially win some more seats in two years, win some more seats in four years. And that's how you get yourself to a majority in a deep blue state like Illinois. Now, all of this is fine and dandy. I can tell you, you know, what I think based on the environment. But the reality is at the end of the day, I'm not going to make any decision without any data sets or data points behind it. So, you know, we go into the state, we poll, we model, we take a look at what the pathway looks like, and then we invest. Like any business decision, right? You wouldn't, you certainly wouldn't start a business without a business plan or a blueprint or something like that. And we operate the same way. Yeah, interesting. So, you know, if we go back to candidates, you know, on this podcast, I keep bringing up this concept of building an ecosystem of relationships and and building coalitions. I know that's something you really value. So a candidate really can't win a race alone. They need allies. They need local volunteers. I'm wondering if you can give us an example of a candidate who is particularly well prepared to run a winning campaign because of our wide and deep ecosystem of relationships versus, and who's not necessarily a career politician. I don't know if that's, you know, something that you've seen in, in all of the races that you've watched across the nation. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, I've seen some really great races in the last, you know, 13, 14 years. When you kind of take away the career politician checkbox, I think it goes back to that like authenticity, right? I've been on races where you've had incumbents with great approval rating from for real election and absolutely kind of like crush it. And then I've been and seen races where you have, you know, these first time folks running for office and, and in politics that have never done so in the past. And just because of that authenticity factor of like, hey, I'm new to this, but I feel strongly that I want to do this for my community, for my state, for my people. Most recently, honestly, the two that I can think of, we just saw in 2021, you got Glenn Youngkin, who, you know, won the the Virginia governor's race. And you have Winsome Sears, who won the lieutenant governor's race. Now, Winsome Sears does have a little bit of a political background because she was a representative or she was in the legislature several years ago. But that was, I think, 20 years ago, if I'm not mistaken. So you kind of chalk that up to... If you knew Winsome from then, you had to really have like been following politics. But for the most part, you know, you weren't looking at her as this like politician who was running for higher office or anything like that. Both of those individuals came through with that genuine appeal to the voter. 
And I mean, going back to like a Glenn Youngkin, I mean, look at who he was running against, right? He's running against a guy who was already governor of the state. And there's that kind of look of like, well, I'm the only one who can fix this. I have to come back. I have to do this again because no one else is better than me, right? Like this is a guy who's already been governor of the state, you know, who can't step aside and give this opportunity to someone else, someone young, someone new, someone fresh. And I mean, young in politics, not by age at all. He genuinely felt that he was the best option. Whereas you have a Glenn Youngkin, this is a guy who's never been involved in politics in his life. He's a business guy. He has a completely different worldview of what's happening. He comes in, he's got that kind of like suburban dad, like, you know, he's just, you want to think coaching little league, league on the weekends. And he was able to connect voters in a very different way because it was a, a very authentic, I care about this community, I care about this state, and here are the, the policies that I want to implement to make your lives a little better. And I think Winsome was the exact same thing, right? And she appealed to minority communities that for the first time in the state of Virginia saw themselves in a candidate running for statewide office for that lieutenant governor role. And you can kind of look back too to, to some other examples, a Larry Hogan, right? Before Larry Hogan ran for office, he had a nonprofit that was Baltimore-based, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, Larry Hogan was involved and like in the fabric of Baltimore kind of efforts, if you will, probably not the best way to describe it, but my point being like he was part of the fabric of the community before he even ran for office. So, you know, to see these folks then kind of stand up and really answer that call, I think is encouraging. And and to that Winston of Sears example, like it gives people the opportunity to see individuals that remind them of themselves. There's something very nice about that, which, you know, I, I kind of I don't know if maybe you feel the same way if you see like a woman running for office or especially if like I mean, she's a mom or you have like similar traits. You're kind of like, oh, wow. OK, so she knows how I feel. She knows how I think I associate a little better to this person. Hi, I want to take a moment to tell you about the Civic Leadership Engagement Roadmap, CLEAR. It's a self-paced leadership program to become a more impactful citizen. This virtual program features one-on-one coaching, mastermind peer groups, networking opportunities, and curated activities that are really designed to help you build connections with local policy leaders and decision makers. This year, CLEARS offers a special program for women who are members of the military and veteran community. To learn more, visit thepolicycircle.org. Yeah, and I think I like your comment about like being part of the fabric of the community, right? It's uh, before you actually run, you're already very involved in, and known at a very local level. You don't need to necessarily be known at the total statewide, but if you have an authentic engagement in your local community, that positions you in a very genuine way to be recognized statewide because you can point to things that you've really engaged. And I love that term that you use about being part of the fabric of the community where that's actually one term and the policy circle has a brief on that, like fabric of, of neighborhoods is really critical. So, you know, last couple of questions. I'm wondering, you know, when you are candidates and you've seen, what are the forces of influences that you need to seek out as a candidate you need to embrace or you need to be aware of or that you know that will come 
for or against you. It'd be great if you shared a little bit of what you've seen, what works and, and what can be a detriment. Honesty in both cases, right? You know, we were just having a lunch and learn yesterday at the office and our research driver kind of went through this whole deck on opposition research, how you use it, why you use it, you know, how it can be beneficial and how it can be your downfall too when you're kind of self-vetting. You know, being honest is the key to whether or not you're successful in politics. I think one of the things that not a lot of people know when they get into or get on the ballot, better said, is, you know, there is kind of a structure already existing within like the partisan makeup of politics in your state, whether that's like your county GOP or your committee people or your state Republican chapter. And a lot of times you're kind of expected to be involved in all of those before you run for office. It's not necessary, right? And oftentimes, especially kind of at at the more local level, you'll have folks that really don't know or understand that. And they decide, okay, well, I want to run for office as a Republican. And then, you know, from one day to another, they're met with this like huge opposition because the Republican structure is, you know, they see someone kind of out of nowhere that says, I want to run for office as a Republican. And they're like, well, wait, 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 we have our candidate who's already running for that seat. Like, who do you think you are? And I don't think that that should make anyone shy away from it. But I think my biggest piece of advice is like, do your research before you run for office at any level. Know who your local precinct chair is, know who your you know committee person is, know who your county chair is, and make sure that you've at minimum introduced yourself to them, let them know what your intentions are before kind of doing anything. Because I think it could either be a huge help or it could be a huge deterrent in running. And you know, I think we've seen that too a lot in in all of the primaries that we're seeing. I don't think at the state level, thinking specifically, you know, we have folks that are getting primaried, right, by individuals who either think that they haven't done a great job or think that they would do a better job. And, you know, there's no no conversation necessarily being had either. So it's catching a lot of people off guard. And it goes back to, I think there's a place for everyone in the structure of politics. It's just a matter of working together with each other and not against each other. Yeah. And kind of doing, I love how you say, you know, candidates have to do their research and understand the party structure at the very local level in their immediate community so that they're a known quantity and they kind of find allies and evolve. So it's interesting also, you know, I invite everyone to look at ballotpedia.org where you can find a lot of information about candidates, about what's on your ballot, and and also who are your state representatives. On Ballotpedia, you can find out who are the major supporters and the early supporters to a candidate's campaign, which might tell you a little bit who is supporting this candidate and and perhaps where their allegiance might be leaning. I was looking at, at my representative and uh, the Illinois Education Association, who advocates for all public education employees. They have about 135,000 members. And as well as, um, you know, the Illinois Trial Lawyer Association have been like early supporters of my reporters. So I'd love for you to share a little bit of what you know about why these groups get involved in state races and what to look at 
maybe as a voter and but also maybe as a candidate, what to expect or how do you interact with these groups? If you can unpack this a little bit for us, that'd be great. So I'll kind of bring it full circle to my first experience with a kind of policy campaign when I was an intern for Governor Christie. His very first kind of like challenge was the teachers unions. So I'll give you a quick backgrounder. State of New Jersey, your income taxes are directly tied to the local school budget. So every time that your income taxes go up, it's because your school budget has likely gone up. We're talking about some of the highest paid teachers in America. For a really long time, they had what they called a vote check, which essentially meant you could not take any vacation or sick days in your 20 years as a teacher and roll them all over to, you know, the day you decided to retire and you would get paid out at your final pay rate, a check of, you know, whatever the state owed you for accrued vacation and sick time, right? So we had people that were superintendents uh, that were making $150,000 a year retiring with three years accrued. And so you had to pay them out, right? So now we're talking about almost a half a million dollars to a superintendent because they retired with three years accrued of vacation and sick time, right? And again, all of that money is coming out of the taxpayer who's already paying some of the highest income taxes in the nation. You know, I'm talking about $16,000 a year on a home mortgage is like pretty standard in New Jersey. And that's not even like the upper class areas. So are you saying like income tax or is it property tax? Property tax, I'm sorry. Your property tax, right? So your property tax goes to schools. Fun fact, though, you vote on your school budget. Now, the election is in March. No other election is in March, really. The school board elections are also in March. My point being is that you have probably like a 12% turnout in these elections. So nobody's actually going to vote on the school board budget or their superintendent or their school board. So it pretty much passes every single time and your taxes go up, your property taxes go up and, you know, your school budget goes up and so on and so forth. And so it was a huge issue. And Governor Christie basically tackled that head on within the first three months of taking office. He made the process very transparent. He made sure that every, you know, New Jersey homeowner was aware of the fact that there were elections in March to vote on your school board budget and that it was directly tied to your property taxes. And if you voted in favor of them, your property taxes were likely going to go up. And so these groups that you kind of mentioned that give money to X, Y and Z, they do a great job at mobilizing their base. Their base is oftentimes teachers families of teachers, friends of teachers, you know, folks in the local government. And so when we look at this turnout, that 10, 12 percent is really folks that they're mobilizing using their network of volunteers, of workers, of of all of, of, quite frankly, um, donations that they can pay to go door knocking and make phone calls and all that stuff to turn out that voting block on Election Day in March to go vote in favor of the school increase. Governor Christie was able to fight back against that. And I think it was something like 60 school board budgets got voted down that year. It was by no means a majority of the school board budgets, but it was more than we had seen really in kind of the history of something like this happening. And so it kind of goes back to that thinking of like, there has to be more transparency in general with like what is happening at the local level. 
It has to be more than just, you know, these groups who have a special interest in a sense paying the play to have elections and kind of these off months where no one's really paying attention, but they happen to have, you know, all the information to be able to go and and turn everyone out. But by that same token, you know, we need to do a better job just as part of our civic duty to be more informed, to follow, okay, what does the election calendar look like in my town this month? Who is on the ballot? To your point, who supports the people that are on the ballot? You know, tell me, what's that phrase? It's like, tell me who your friends are and I'll tell you who you are kind of thing. That's such a great, you know, way to look at it as well, because you're absolutely right. If I go and I see three big companies or unions that I'm not in favor of or that have a bad reputation donating to a specific campaign or candidate, I'm definitely going to have a couple of questions about the integrity of that candidate, about their stances on issues. So I think it's twofold, right? I think government needs to do a better job at engaging the electorate and quite frankly, just the population. And we as voters have to do a better job at being informed and being more civically engaged. Yeah. And then seeking out those sites like Ballotpedia is one of them, Ballotpedia.org that has a full profile. And it takes time, right? You have to take the time to kind of go through and and not look at the top line, like go back and say, okay, this person has been in office for eight years or 10 years. Like how did she start, right? Who was uh, the supporter? We've talked about why we're paying attention to state races, what makes a great candidate, who influences and supports this candidate. What would be your parting words for our listeners who are looking to step into new experiences and maybe fully engage in their communities? You've talked about the civic duty of looking at understanding the legislative calendar, understanding the election, looking at candidates. Are there other things that would be great for people to leave us with? Every time that I'm trying to lose weight or, or get healthy, I hate the phrase, it's a lifestyle choice or it's a lifestyle change. I mean, that's really, really what it comes down to, right? Because you're right, Sylvie, it takes time. You have to want to do it. You have to want to be informed. You have to want to be engaged to do all of those things. My best piece of advice is do a little bit out of time, right? Start by going to Ballotpedia and checking who's running in your district. Then maybe, you know, go to their website, read what their issues are. If you feel really strongly about it, I mean, you know, think about volunteering. Think about knocking some doors, maybe making some phone calls. Think about going to one of your local school board meetings or one of your local zoning meetings. You know, kind of keep testing things until you find what you're really interested in and what you like, and then just keep practicing it. Keep doing it. And before you know, I mean, you're going to be, you're probably going to be way in over your head, uh, but you're going to be having a really good time doing it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Edith, for being on the show and, and kind of getting us to think about state politics, state candidates, and encouraging us to get engaged and perhaps even ourselves jump into the arena and become a state candidate. So thanks, Edith. Thank you, Sylvie. I'm glad to be here. As we come to the end of this episode, it's clear that when it comes to political candidates, authenticity and local engagement are critical to success. So connecting with voters and understanding their concerns is key to any candidate looking to win an election. And if you want to know more about a candidate's track record and their supporters, well, you know, Ballotpedia.org is a great resource to check out. 
So as we hear more and more about people considering running locally or at the state level or even in Congress, I think here are some important questions to ask. What do you know about a candidate seeking your vote? Have they been actively involved in their community? What do their neighbors say about them? Have they attended local town hall meetings? And who are their biggest supporters? And what is their relationship with special interest groups? And also, have they been involved in their local party? So remember, your vote and your engagement matters, and it's up to you to be informed. So thank you for tuning in, and we hope you found this episode insightful. Thank you for joining me, Sylvie Legere, on my Trust Your Voice podcast. I hope that this episode brought you a new way to think about your voice, how to trust yourself, and how to use your voice for good in your life and in your community. If you like this podcast, be sure to leave us a review in Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. À bientôt.